Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. My name's Elizabeth and I'm a sex and love addict in recovery. Um, so tonight is speaker night and I, whenever I work with someone or um, become close to someone in recovery, I'm reminded of how challenging this program is. And um, this woman, um, you know, in the beginning she struggled and she went back and forth and back and forth. And, um, you know, I don't know what makes somebody get it or stick or whatever, but we all have our own moments. You know, I know what mine was when I realized what I needed to do. Um, but I got to work very closely with Margaret for a long time and we're still good friends and she's a part of my other group and um, I'm excited to hear her story. Um, but I did want to remind you guys, we changed it a couple of months ago to 30 minutes rather than 40. So we're going to target 30 minutes, but I'm the timekeeper. So, and I've already talked to um, Margaret about that beforehand. So, all right, honey, let's hear it. Thank you guys. Um, thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's such an honor to to be here. I'm so excited. I've been <laughs> like put it on, like let me put some lipstick on, and I'm like these people have seen me <laughs> before. <laughs> um, but I'm Margaret, sex and love addict, and um, I'm I'm a little nervous, but I'm I'm really just I keep telling myself like share your courage, strength, and hope, and share. Share, share with, think about someone who like needs to really hear this, like to hear the hope in your story. And so um, that's the spirit that I'm sharing it in. A friend of mine, um, nevertheless, Naomi is her poet name, wrote this poem and we traveled together um, to Italy a few years ago and she read it at dinner and I just wanted to start with this. I've been in the program for up since 2014 and my journey in this program has really been, uh, especially now, not always, (laughs) not always, but now it's been like 12, the fourth step. Like I feel like I'm walking in the fourth step and I'm probably gonna cry. And it's like, I'm literally, and that's where God is meeting me. Like he's, he's, it's, it's where me and God, like we're meeting right now. And um, I, I don't, I don't, I think the words of this poem 
really illustrates that. So I want to start off with the poem and then I'll get a little bit into my childhood, what brought me in here um, and, and where I am now. The poem is called Unmitigated Gall. I am in recovery. I am more healed than I was last year, last month, and even more so following today. I am more focused. Oh my God. I am more removed. I have less luggage, less sweat, and less dirty laundry. Nevertheless, I am lighter and shining from the inside out. I am getting better without concerning myself with everyone else else's wellness. It has finally occurred to me that it's up to them to do the work and make the decision that they're going to be okay. Okay? Nevertheless, I feel more whole. I feel sure. And I have the mitigated gall to be on my way. That the last sentence, I have the mitigated gall to be on my way. It's probably my most favorite part of that poem because my story has really been about feeling displaced since even since childhood, longing, searching for a place that I belong. And although I, I feel like I'm not there yet, I feel like I'm on my, like recovery has given me the basis and the foundation to be on my way to that space. And and that's a space of not being, you're still kind of, you know, in limbo, but at least I'm on my way. So I feel like my, my childhood was, I'll talk about the displacement in my childhood. My childhood was the perfect storm for an addict, especially a love addict. Um, my parents, they were extremely like I never got to experience them together in childhood. I'm from Liberia, West Africa. I was born in Monrovia, Liberia. Um, and my dad came to the U.S. when I was five. But before he came, my mom, um, my parents have a huge age gap. And um, maybe about 19 years or something like that. And uh, my mom later shared with me that she got with my dad out of like defiance to her father. She had a lot like of st- issues herself. And because um, I've always wondered, like, what the fuck do these two people see in each other? Like, they are like such a horrible match. <laughs> I'm probably the most amazing thing they created. No? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so my my parents, my mom was really young when she had me. She was like 19. And um, in my culture, like grandma kind of can, you know, grandparents kind of take care of you. So I was really like going, we lived in Monrovia, Liberia. Um, my grandparents lived in what would be probably the equivalent, the equivalent of like Galveston. And so we would like go, I would always be between like my grandparents or my aunt Margaret, who I was named after. And um, my aunt and my mom didn't get along. And so whenever my aunt got pissed at my mom for something, 
she would send me, she would, my mom would then come pick me up and take me to my grandparents. And so for the first probably four years of my life, I was in this limbo of going to from my Aunt Margaret's house to my grandparents' house and just sometimes going to my mom's. My last memory of my father was when I was three years old, before I came before he came to the US, and he and I was sitting and my Aunt Margaret was pissed off at my mom as usual for something and she told my and and my we're on her port we're on my aunt margaret's porch she lived in a apartment and i don't re- like this was my last memory of my father like he he was like do you want to go to your grandparents house and and i just remember feeling like i want to go with you or whatever and i don't know what happened after that so my dad came to the us and I would, he would always send me packages and in Africa like you could buy someone clothes from Walmart and if it's from America they're going to treasure it and so I was always like because I got I wore clothes from the US like people in the neighborhood envied me and my mom had these lavish parties but it was like I was always in this like yo-yo of like multiple you know going from this household to that household to that household my auntie Margaret was crazy as hell. Like she was, I don't know what she's, she's just a whole case and I don't even have time to talk about her. And so the situation with her was very like cold and she was just a total bitch. And my grandparents, they were very loving, but they were old. And so, um, when I was at their house, I, I, that's where I got molested. I got molested by my teacher um, and I got molested by like family members and I had to be like about four or five years old and I would even act out sexually with other kids around my age group, male and female. And so this was my introduction to sexuality was through this molestation. I never told a soul until I was like 30 something years old. So yeah, so this continued until um, about early 90s. There was a civil war in Liberia um, that went on for 14 years. And my Aunt Margaret decided everybody was fleeing. Like, it was getting really ugly. And it was very just, like, blood shared. A lot of people died. And so my Auntie Margaret decided to come to the U.S. She had schooled at Columbia. And so she had a lot of roots here. Um, she decided to take my two other cousins that lived with us. And she, she said she told my mom that she wouldn't take me unless she could adopt me. And my mom was like, "No, like she has her dad out there. She, you don't need to adopt her." Well, um, she, she refused, and so I stayed with my mom, which I'm really glad I did. I, I got to go through that. It was a really horrible experience. Like I said, if you guys ever saw like Hotel Rwanda, that's like what it was. It was like we were hiding in churches. Um, U.S. citizens were like fleeing. They were, it was just chaos. And it was basically like people trying to fight for power. And so like we would hear gunshots and stuff like that. And so when the, when the rebels took over Monrovia, where we were, which is the equivalent of Houston, we had to walk to like Galveston. And so we fled to safety. Um, 
and got made contact with my father and he sent he filed papers for me to come here so i come to the u.s um and it is of course a culture shock <laughs> and the first noticeable thing guys was no offense but the white people <laughs> because i grew up in africa i didn't even i mean other than we had a lot of foreigners like lebanese people come and stuff I grew up around a lot of black people, like uh, people who look like me. So that was the first culture shock. Then the second one was um, like African-Americans. Call it like the kids kind of were like, be mean. At first it was like, oh my God, you're from Africa. The first couple years was like, oh, you're from Africa, you're so cool. Then it turned to, oh, you're from Africa, African booty scratcher. And like, I would get that more from like African American kids. And then everybody started turning on me because like I fit what I make up, you know, kids they don't, you know, things that are different. Everybody gets teased. And my dad didn't have the capacity to like fix my hair and stuff like that. Thank you. Is that how much time I have left? Okay, thank you. My dad didn't have the capacity to fix my hair and stuff. And so I would go to school like um kind of unkept. And I remember my dad like used to work really long hours because he was a CNA, and um, at one point I started living with my babysitter, and they decided they didn't want to do my hair, and they shaved my hair, like shaved my head off. And I remember when I went to school, it was like shocking to people; they were making fun of me. And I remember, like, I was—I'll never forget this day. Like, I remember I was in like some pink jogging suit just I felt so hurt like somebody in my recovery program I don't know because Elizabeth was my Elizabeth was my sponsor for years so I don't know if it was her that asked me like when was my first like like what emotion could I tie to my feelings I'm so sorry guys somebody keeps calling me what emotion could I tie to my feelings um of like my sex and love addiction and I remember like that day I felt so devastated that I was being like teased profusely and um I started crying and from that day on I used to wear a jacket over my head because the majority of the girls in my class were Caucasian they all had long beautiful hair even the black girls had long beautiful hair and so I just remember like the kids would make fun of me and I and I used to and so I would try to be their friend so bad. I would try to do so much for them to get them to like me, and they just never did. And so I was like, well, fuck it. I, I became the terror. Like, I just started just fucking with people. And so I became, like, the class clown, and I would continue on this identity. Then my mom came, and she, you know, then started doing my hair and stuff, and that gave me self-esteem. Oh, my God. My sister keeps calling me. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, so then, um, so my mom comes and, uh, she, she, she does my hair and I, I start feeling good again, but then my parents' relationship was very toxic and, um, they, like my dad became enraged and like just this like control freak, like something about my mom triggers him and he would just get in these rages he would hit my mom he would do all this crazy shit and um i remember one day he took he 
I did something and he got pissed and he was like, you're so fat. That's why nobody's going to want you because you're fat. And um, that was such a defining day for me. Like, I didn't realize it until I was doing um, some step work with Elizabeth that, wow, that was probably like the beginning of my addiction. (laughs) And um, so when I became like a teenager and I started to date, it was like whoever wanted me was the person you just had to have a pulse like that was it and so like my parents eventually split because my dad became more and more violent I became more and more like um unable to focus at school I started acting out at school being class clowns doing bizarre behaviors and so of course they brought in the school counselor to talk to me And um, so they brought in the school counselor to talk to me and I disclosed to them that my dad is violent at home, told them what was happening. And they gave my mom an ultimatum and that's how she finally ended up leaving my dad. So when my mom and dad split, um, it was a blessing and a curse. It gave a blessing because then I didn't have to be subjected to somebody beating my mom's ass and creating a violent environment cursed because then I became more unsupervised and more room I I, I got more room to act out so um we moved to Sacramento California by this time and by this time I'm like watching all the you know movies and I know about sex and I'm my hormones are like starting to rage and I really wanted to have sex I was 12 years old, and I'll never forget, I was walking past, I used to see this guy in the neighborhood, and um, I was walking past one day, and we decided to have sex, and um, he, so when I, like, the house, there was other people in the house, and mind you, I was a virgin, and he, so we started having sex, it began to hurt, and I asked him to stop. He refused to, and he said, and then he finally stopped. Him and his friends hid my clothes and said they wouldn't give me my clothes back until I performed fellatio on him. So I'm, like, crying and performing fellatio and um, not even knowing really how to do it because keep in mind I'm, like, 12. So that was, like, a very traumatic experience for me. But I would just – I slept it under the rug and just kept like I was like a wanderer in that neighborhood I would just like have sex with random strangers and stuff so then high school come um I decided to it was my way out like everybody was talking about college I decided like okay I'm gonna I need to get out of here opportunity comes for me to come to Houston Texas for school I jump on it And Houston was, like, my second chance. College was my second chance. Um, I went to Texas Southern University. I got, like, I was always on the honor roll. Things were going well for me. I meet these two girls that become, like, my long-lost sisters, Claire and Lachelle. And they kind of, like, take me under their wings. And Claire especially, she's like, Margaret, you're just so talented. You're this and that. You could do – I start sharing with Claire that I want to be a hairstylist. She's like, Margaret, you can do it. You can own your own business and all this stuff. So I graduated from TSU. I started beauty school. 
I get my license. I start my business. Claire is, she works for Sigo at the time. She's an analyst. She starts giving me business advice and just kind of showing me what to do. Then um, at this time, I'm still acting out, but the acting out and stuff is like really like a backseat towards like me trying to really like get my life together and like make something of myself. And um, so I would act out like on the weekends. <laughs> just put it like that. And so, um, so yeah, so the defining moment, how did I get here? So a friend of mine, um, had a friend at work that he de- that she decided to introduce me to this this expat this guy he was an expat from Nigeria West Africa and um, before him his name was Charles like so we went to see some Shakespearean play or something like that and then we went out to eat and we had a great conversation Charles was amazing like he was tall dark handsome he spoke very well he was so smart before that time, like I said, I would date, like, if you had a pulse, that's who I was dating. Um, if you, So that means I was dating drug, drug addicts, um, all kind of crazy people. Charles was, like, the first person, like, he was an engineer and so smart. And I was just, like, in awe. Like, I feel like I made Charles my higher power. I was, like, in awe of him. Well, of course, top, Charles was a douche also. And so he had, like, a girlfriend that he was dating and kind of juggling me. And short version, I had, like, this total meltdown when he told me he didn't want to see me again. And my friend Claire was like, Margaret, this is not normal. Like, this is not normal. Like, you need to – I really suggest that you go see a therapist. So I go to see a therapist, and by this time, Charles is kind of out of the picture – And I have a new person. I have this alcoholic guy that I'm trying to get to go to AA. And she goes, um, she goes, um, well, there's a, there's a, do you know there's a program for you? The same program you're trying to get him to go to, there's one for you. And I was like, huh? Because I was so engulfed in talking about the guy and how he needs to go to AA. So, but I agreed to go. She gives me facing love addiction. I cry like I'm like oh my god this is so mean there's a name for this oh my god I come in um it was St. John's Church that was my first meeting 4 4 4 30 p.m and I'm like oh my god totally resonate with this um and I was like okay I go to a couple meetings and I'm like reasoning with myself like I'll do this shit like I'll do this and I'll like I'll get the guy. I was like, yeah, I, there's a name for this. I'm going to do this. And I know I'll get the guy after this. Like, I know I'll be worthy after this. And it just did not happen. Like, I was very one foot. Thank you. I heard. I was very one foot in, one foot out. <laughs> My first probably <laughs> eight or nine years of the program. I think I just honestly became willing, like, fully last year. I got to be honest. And um, it was because, I mean, of course, my whole thing was I'll get the guy. And But I kept getting more awareness, more awareness, more awareness. I would act out. Um, I started working with Elizabeth, and um, I got a lot of, like, when I did the steps with Elizabeth, I really got my narrative. Like, I understood, like, okay, this is why I do what I do, but I just couldn't stop. 
And um, so one another thing that I have to share, um, my drinking had become out, out of hand. Um, I started blacking out, and I went out one night, and I totally don't remember what happened. I just remember waking up, and I don't have any recollection of having sex. But I still kept drinking. Here, and then fast forward to the pandemic comes, and I decide I'm going to take my one foot in that I have in recovery out. And I'm just a very transparent person. It was because I kind of felt like no, I didn't, I, nobody identified with, you know, the race relations was very high that time. And I kind of felt like as a black woman, I didn't fit into recovery. And I felt like this is not where I belong. Like this program is not where I belong. I found out that some people in the program, you know, were of a political belief system that I felt was racist and I felt threatened. And so honestly, I took that and ran with it and decided I'm going to take this foot I have in out. <laughs> and my, my um, disease just progressed. Like it just got worse. It just spiraled until I started like drinking more. I started, then I started gummies. And then I started getting these weird feelings that I had no future. Like, it would be like, oh, my God, I'm dying. My life is going to end. Like, I literally was so paranoid and scared all the time. And then last year, I went to um, Paris with my cousin. And we were talking about family. And she was like, Margaret, you just have to accept your family for who you are. And I just felt like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to do life by myself. I came back to the U.S. and I was having panic attacks every day i was like i i don't even know what the fuck happened <laughs> i get into this program at the councils i keep having panic attacks there they're like we can't help you and i the only thing i remember was calling my mom and telling her mom i can't i'm not gonna make it i don't think i'm gonna make it i cannot get out of bed i'm in such a low place and she was like margaret you're going to have to fight this battle. And, and then like my birthday came and I was like contemplating killing myself last year. My birthday is September 25th. And, um, I went to my aunt's house and she was like, come sit on my lap. And I don't know how she knew that that's what I needed. And my family, like their love just lifted me out of that dark place. And then I made friends in the program, like Sarah, that I called um, one night when I started shaking with my shakes. I started having these shakes. And Sarah, and I put in the thing that I needed support. Sarah answered. And she's been like a really great support system to me. I reconnected with Elizabeth. And although she's not my sponsor, I started doing worked back with her, started coming to Silver Sisters, and just become, became more willing. I stopped drinking. Um, I haven't had a drink since July of last year. And y'all, my life has totally turned around. <laughs> Nothing has changed as far as, like, there's no guy here. Like, my family, they're not any less fucked up. Like, my dad just 
sent us a text to disinvite me and my sister from my my own brother's graduation. But I don't give a fuck about him or any like I am in such an amazing space <laughs> and higher power like I'm gonna go back to the fourth step my life is a fourth step but it's not like it's not like that shameful I did this I did that it's like a this is who I am and this is where I meet God this is where we become co-creators and it's like there's so many miracles in my life. People just gravitate to me, want to help me. Strangers, things just happen for me. Like that promise that says you will be amazed before you're halfway through. Every day is an amazed day for me, no matter what. I have the tools to like face my life. And I am so grateful to this program because it's changed my life and it's changing my life and even when I was acting out I was still on the right right track because it just added like it just had I not take, taken one foot out I wouldn't be here today but I'm so grateful that today I'm two foot in and that's why I led with a mitigated gall because it's courage it's higher power is not me and um I, I i i just can't i just i have the unmitigated gall to see this journey through and i have the unmitigated gall to be on my way thank you guys so much for listening to me that's it for this month's speaker meeting stay tuned to sober sisters talk for next month's speaker Thank you.